I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, as Pastor Tim said, I tend to ask a lot of questions. So, and I ask these questions not intending to be rhetorical in nature, meaning please shout out, speak up. Um, so could we actually put up that first slide again, please? Okay, so thank you very much. Now, when we're talking about Jonah, um, the tendency when we oftentimes think of the book of Jonah is that we tend to think about what when we think about the book of Jonah? What first comes to our mind? Whale, big fish, right? Whale, big fish. That's everyone's first thought, right? Whale, big fish. Um, now, you might be thinking to yourself, um, why are we looking at a passage that's talking about a whale and a big fish when we're in the second week of Advent and we're supposed to be talking about peace? Um, kind of an odd turn. Uh, why are we talking about a whale and a big fish? Well, we're not going to get to chapter two. Um, so first of all, we're not, we're not getting to the big fish. Um, but um, we, we are going to be talking about an animal. It just doesn't happen to be a big fish this morning. The animal we're going to be talking about is a different animal, um, but it's an animal that we've all been reading. We just don't know that it's actually an animal. Um, so this is one of those things um, that's very helpful whenever looking at any passage in scripture, which is to know the meaning of people's names. Um, when the King James translators first translate the Bible into English, they simply sounded out all the names from Hebrew to English. So Yonah in Hebrew became Jonah in English, or Yosef in Hebrew became Joseph in English. Now those were the names of those people, and those names all literally mean something. And when we learn the meaning of a person's name, we learn a dimension or a puzzle piece of their what? Character. Purpose, story, personality. Origin, good. Another word? Everyone we said, absolutely amen. And history, good. Family, identity, thank you, right? We learn a dimension or a puzzle piece of a person's character, calling, personality, history, origin, identity will be embedded in the name. Not necessarily the whole of that, but a not so small puzzle piece of a person's identity purpose will be in that name. And so it can be very helpful to understand the meanings of people's names. And Jonah is one of these names that's actually extremely helpful. And as a quick reminder, as I said, all the names you just sounded out, meaning all these names are literally words. They're all words. Um, and so the name Jonah is the name of an animal that actually ties into a passage that Pastor Tim, you, you referenced earlier um, uh, about me. Um, uh, the name Jonah, uh, Yonah in Hebrew, anyone happen to know what the name Jonah means? Good guess. Such a good guess. I know, goat. When he said goat, I was like, come on. I'm going to do this whole animal thing. And I was like, ah, man. Okay, um, not goat. Um, not goat, but it's not, it's a very good. Okay, think in relationship to me. Good. Louder? Dove. Very good. Um, the name Jonah, Yonah, literally means dove. Meaning every time we're looking at Jonah, we're looking at a guy named Dove. Dove. Okay, now, this is where to climb into the concept of dove, when we see the dove. Because when we see the dove first shows up, the dove first shows up where? Noah, right? Genesis chapter 8 with Noah. And this, what the dove would represent has a very kind of specific and particular meaning because of what happens in Genesis chapter 8 with Noah, when Noah sends forth the dove from the ark. Noah sends forth the dove from the ark. The first time the dove comes back, and the dove comes back, how? 
empty-handed. Ooh, yeah, empty-handed, empty mouth, right? Exactly right. Um, second time the dove comes back, the dove comes back with what? Olive branch in its, in its beak, in its mouth, right? The dove comes back with an olive branch in its mouth. And the thought that would persist for a very long time post-Noah of what the understanding of the dove with the olive branch in the mouth would be that what the dove symbolizes is a message of God's peace. So when we talk about the dove and what the dove symbolizes, the dove symbolizes a message of God's peace. And as we're in this second Advent week, we're talking about what? Peace, right? The peace of Christ. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And here comes the dove, Jonah, bringing a message of God's peace. This is literally his name. Dove, messenger of God's peace. And he's a prophet. He's supposed to, he's a messenger of God's peace. So here comes the dove, Jonah, messenger of God's peace. And God tells Jonah to do what? Go to Nineveh and that great city, cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, um, before we dive into Jonah's response, to think about what Nineveh is. Um, Nineveh, for the children of Israel, uh, what's the relationship between the children of Israel and Nineveh at this time? Bad. Okay, bad. Um, because Nineveh, as God says in verse 2, is what kind of a city? Wicked. Um, and, and the Ninevites and the children of Israel are not friends. They are not good buds. They're not even like a uh, complicated relationship. No, they, they, they're enemies. They're really and at this time, where this gets to be a bit complicated is the children of Israel are not necessarily, um, let's say, behaving particularly well themselves. And God has been sending who to the children of Israel? A whole lot of what to them? Prophets. And God has been trying to send them prophets in order for them to do what? Repent and turn from their ways. And have the people listen to the prophets? By and large, no. So now God is sending a prophet to who? their enemy. Oh, okay. Now I'm, if I'm Jonah, messenger of God's peace, I'm being sent to my enemies when I know my people aren't turning and repenting. And God might be sending me to them. Why? Ooh, okay. There were several voices over here to get them to repent. Very good. Yes. Good. Another voice. What'd you say? Maybe I'll be a martyr, right? They might kill me. It happens to a lot of other prophets. Why not me too? Absolutely. Um, there was another voice over here. Ah, okay. So here we go. This is where um, if you're Jonah, hearing this message, I want to suggest evokes probably a whole series of ideas that I don't like. Okay, because let's think of some of the options if I'm Jonah. I know my people are not behaving all that well. They're not listening to the prophets that are being sent to them. They're not repenting. They keep going on their kind of merry, sinful ways. Um, God is telling me to go to this other people group who are also committing all these sins, but he's telling me to make them repent. Maybe they will repent. And maybe if they repent, then that people might turn around and do what? Put the smack down on Israel. <laughs> <laughs> put the smack down on Israel. Yeah, <laughs> technical term <laughs> there in the Hebrew, right? Okay, put the smack down on Israel. And in fact, they will, right? The Ninevites are part of the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrians are going to eventually do what? 
conquered and destroyed. So actually, Jonah's not wrong. Or let's say they don't repent, then I become a martyr, right? Okay, so either I go there and they kill me because they don't like the message, which happens to most prophets, or I go there, maybe they don't listen. What was the point of that anyway? My people find out, how are they going to feel about that? Or I go and they repent and maybe they turn around and sack my people? Meaning, if I'm Jonah here, all of these options sound... Yeah, I, um, I don't know that I actually want to go and do this. And that's why, verse 3, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, just to get into a picture of what Jonah's doing here, um, God says to Jonah, messenger of God's peace, go to Nineveh. Nineveh would be located uh, several hundred miles to the east. You would go there by foot. Jonah decides to go literally 2,500 plus miles west by sea to Tarshish, what we would probably call modern-day Spain, meaning Jonah is doing what here? Running. And he's running literally what? 180 degrees in the opposite direction from where God had called him by the other mode of transportation, meaning Jonah is being literally here what? Ooh, SAT word, obstinate. Okay. Uh, ooh. <laughs> Obstinate. Uh, there was another word. Defiant. Disobedient. Okay. Defiant, disobedient, obstinate. Right. He is trying to do everything he can to not do the very thing the Lord has said. And we're not told exactly why, but we can probably come up as we just did with a couple of ideas of maybe what he's thinking of why he doesn't really want to go and do the thing God just asked him to do. But he's literally going 180 degrees the opposite direction of where God has instructed him. Now, I want to return to the moment where we were talking about Nineveh and who Nineveh would be. Nineveh is the arch enemy, one of the very foes for the children of Israel. And to kind of think about how that would feel, when we're talking about our enemies, it's not that God is asking Jonah to go and deliver a message to God's peace to someone I like or maybe someone I had a prior relationship with and there were some good days. This is my enemy. And who might that be to us today? What was that? Russia, China. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Getting deep, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Ourselves, let's sit over here. The other political party, <laughs> fill in, right? Okay, here we go. Meaning, right, I'm not just talking about the Raiders <laughs> or the Blackhawks, right? Okay, I, we're talking about people who I might look at and go, it's me or them. Uh, one, um, the other day, uh, someone in a study said ISIS. What do I not want to go and do? Thank you. Here, people who want to kill me, let me come and tell you about your wickedness so that maybe you'll repent. Not just for my own safety, I don't necessarily want that for them because, as you said, absolutely spot on, those people that I, if they repent, they might come around and do what? Put the smackdown on us, right? When we're thinking about what it means to bring a message of God's peace, I think we oftentimes think about, oh, it's going to be what when I bring a message of God's peace? Peaceful, 
and it's going to go how for me? So well. Gang, how does it go for the apostles? Mm. It, how, how does it go for Jesus? In one hand of the sword, uh, and yet bringing a message of God's peace and to our enemies. And what does it mean to bring it to our enemies? And that actually, if God has wanted me to bring a message of God's peace to my enemies, what does that say about God and my enemy? Ooh, louder, please. He loves them too. Come on. He loves them too. He loves them too. But I might look at my enemy and I might be right in saying they're wicked. They're doing horrible, evil things. So God should feel how to them? Angry. And yet, God, he loves them too. He loves them too. How might that make me feel? Mm, right? And actually, Jonah chapter 4, uh, it's a really fun study to go through this really word by word, but in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah, it says, is angry with God. In Jonah chapter 4, it's really fun. Um, well, not if you're Jonah, but if you're reading it. Uh, Jonah, it'll say, is angry with God, and he's angry with God because he says, you are a merciful, gracious, abounding in kindness, and I am so mad at you right now. Literally what he says. It's really, it's, it's so fun. Um, <laughs> you are too merciful. You're too kind. You're too abounding in generosity. I'm so mad at you. And he thinks what God is doing, he actually, it says it thinks what God is doing is evil. Because he looks at his enemy and he says, you should not love them, right? On a deep level, don't love that evil. They're doing evil. We agree they're doing evil. Why would you extend love to them? Why would you abound in kindness, graciousness, generosity? Why would you give them another? And yet here I want to suggest, God is saying to Jonah, messenger of God's peace, Go deliver a message of God's peace to people who you hate, to your very enemies. They're not beyond God's love. They're not outside the box. They're not without hope, without a chance to change. That's, the, that's, the, that's really what Jonah's talking about. And yet I want to suggest it's also where we are today, where for so many of us, there are people who we see and who we look at, who we say, what about? Okay, there, there were several, sorry. Uh, there are two, like, two more stood here. You're the enemy. Other. No hope. <laughs> no hope. How could you have hope for those people, seeing what they do? And um, this is where it gets to be no hope. <laughs> um, it's a really helpful thing, especially in this Advent season, to think about the concept of hope, which is when we think about the idea of hope, um, in biblical Hebrew, the idea of hope for a moment here is a really helpful word to unpack. The word hope in Hebrew is the word tikva. Tikva is the Hebrew word for hope. And this is where, I apologize for those of you who don't like grammar, we're about to get kind of grammary. Um, so, um, Hebrew is a root-based structure of language. Most words in Hebrew have a three-letter root. Some words have a one or a two or a four or a five-letter root, but most words in Hebrew have a three-letter root. And when you get down to the root of a word, you really get the core concept that underlies an idea, and then the language will build upon itself. So tikva, which means hope, has a root. Now, before we dive into the root of the word for tikva, 
um, this word for hope, the word that we often kind of are always looking at for hope in Hebrew. Um, when we're hoping, we're usually hoping for what? Something good. <laughs> yeah, you said something we want, something good. And I want that now. Ooh, you're patient. I wanted it yesterday. Right? Meaning, it's not only that I'm hoping for something good that I want, I usually want it now, or maybe ideally yesterday at the bare minimum soon, right? Meaning, we're usually hoping on a timeline. I have a specific idea of when it would be good to get the thing that I'm hoping for. Now, that's just where the word hope in Hebrew, um, which is this word tikva, has a root. The root of the word for tikva in Hebrew is the word tav. Tav and tav literally means to wait. W-A-I-T, wait. Meaning, if I'm hoping, I would know what? There's going to be some waiting. And then I want to suggest the question that most people would ask is, ah, <laughs> Charlie, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, okay. If, like, I'm not kidding, 99.4% of the time I ask that question, people say, how long? <laughs> um, it's incredible, right? It's because there's this idea, I don't want to what? Wait. And I mean, gang, in the world we live in today, I don't know that we've ever lived in a time that was more instant gratification, on-demand civilization, where if my package from Amazon comes in anything more than 48 hours, <laughs> why are you mad at me? What have I done? Why have you forsaken me? What, right, like it's, okay, I mean, truly, the way we would behave towards God if I have to wait anything longer than the prescribed maximum of what seems real. Okay, gang, if I'm hoping, I would know there would be at least some waiting. It's embedded in the very fabric of the word. Sometimes that waiting is 48 hours. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's actually going to happen when? Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, generations later, I think I heard another person say, long after I'm dead. And yet, that does not mean what? Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Doesn't mean that I was hoping, waiting in vain. But the idea that it has to happen at a minimum in my Lifetime, I want to just, I'm really making it all about who there. In my lifetime, it has to happen in. And yet that's actually, and sometimes yes, sometimes yes, but the idea, the notion that it has to be within my lifetime if I'm hoping for something. And you see, throughout scripture, again and again, it can be generations down the line, long after I'm. And I think it gets to be so, so hard for Jonah, messenger of God's peace. I'm going to go to my enemies that God seems to have some hope for. And that might mean my people have the smackdown laid on them and what the real temptation is, and they'll be carried off into exile. And then I might think what? Been abandoned. Oh, I've been abandoned and it is all my fault and it's, uh, it's over. It's over. And one of the things, the hardest parts is to see that they'll come back. People do come back from exile. Not everyone, definitely not everyone, 
but some people do return from exile. And it's so hard to have hope when something seems to go so wrong, when I feel abandoned, when I feel like all's been lost, can I not see that it's over, but that God might be doing something that in my lifetime I might not necessarily get to see the fruit of. But in generations and generations down the line, does it mean God isn't working? But for me in my lifetime, that might feel really, really well. That worked. (laughs) Might also feel quite disappointing. Hopeless. (laughs) Hopeless. Discouraging. And deeply painful. And I don't want to remove any of those things as not, they're all there. They're all true. And longitudinally, what might God be doing? Right? As we're in this time, when we're in this season of what it means to bring peace, to not just think about bringing peace only to those who maybe are receptive to healing, not just about bringing peace to those who we like or those who I want to go have coffee with or those who I feel really comfortable around, or just those people who I know I get along with, or those people who will not have a conflict in a conversation. What does it mean to be a messenger of God's peace to my enemy? To that who I really don't like? Because I want to suggest if I'm Jonah, Dove, messenger of God's peace, or the very thing Jesus is going to do in the very same river, right, where it talks about a sign, the sign of Jonah, What does it mean to be a messenger of God's peace to all? Even if I don't understand it, even if I don't get why, how could God have kindness and mercy to that, to them, to that? What does it mean to be a messenger of God's peace to everyone? Radically, we have hope, especially when I don't understand. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the precious gift that you have given us with your love. As you give us these opportunities to be messengers of your peace, Lord God, we pray that we would draw closer to you and to each other in and through it all. That especially in times that we find hard, where we cannot maybe see or understand why you are doing what you're doing or what might be happening, Lord God, we pray that we would be those people who can bring your peace, especially when it is hard, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the discernment to live and be as you have created us to be.